Welcome, everybody, to an edition of Team Turnbuckle, IB Sports Wrestling Podcast. Today, myself and co-host Ronald Tinsley are going to be discussing a very busy uh, last week where we had Super Showdown over in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Then SmackDown, obviously, was on Friday. And then what was just a fantastic uh, pay-per-view put on by AEW on Saturday. Ron, are you there, buddy? Oh, yes, sir. How you doing, Keith? Man, I cannot complain. Uh, definitely, it's getting harder and harder to keep up with all the wrestling that is going on because there's just there's so much content. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get into this in a little bit, but the, the shows that uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to really stick up with, which is obviously like the new ones, AEW, or even when NXT uh, went live on Wednesdays, you could make a really strong argument that they're the best uh, two shows in wrestling right now. I absolutely agree with you. Like what they've been putting on, especially since AEW has went live this past fall has been nothing short of amazing. NXT has really turned up their game, you know, and, you know, in our last podcast, uh, I spoke of how highly I thought of all of their stars and what they've been doing over the last six months so i completely agree with you well let's get started because we got a lot of stuff to get through uh on thursday wwe had their if this was their third or fourth uh super showdown over in saudi arabia part of a big deal uh the wwe lucrative deal they signed uh, a few years back uh most will remember this from the last time they went uh many of the stars getting stuck in Saudi Arabia, really haven't heard what exactly happened there, but obviously they're going to move forward because I think, if I remember correctly, it came out of uh, that situation with an extension, which was kind of not the way it was going to go. So real quickly, just going over the matches, this is not all of them, just the ones you know that were important. Bailey retained versus Naomi in what was actually a, a really good match. Uh, Roman Reigns defeated uh, Corbin, King Corbin, excuse me, in a cage match. I'm hoping that it's Finally, uh, the end of that rivalry, even though both of those guys are just excellent workers. Uh, And what I thought was the first surprise of the night, Miz and Morrison uh, became the new tag team champs, defeating the New Day. Uh, Brock Lesnar squashed Ricochet in the uh, Raw WWE title match. Rollins and Murphy retained their Raw tag team titles versus the Street Profits. And then the second, well, I guess depending on who you are, second big surprise of the night, Goldberg defeated uh, the Fiend for the Universal title on SmackDown, and that ended The Fiend's uh, undefeated streak, I guess if you want to count, other than the shenanigans with Seth Rollins, uh, and and just completely derailed what most people had WrestleMania plans going at that point. Uh, Super Showdown in the past has been kind of a, almost like a house show on steroids. I don't know if we can continue to treat that this way as titles changed in two different matches and obviously this has shaked up the plans for Wrestlemania but let's let's start by going this way were you surprised that they gave the title to Goldberg going into Mania absolutely like um, I was hoping to avoid spoilers but you know if you like anything on this planet just avoid social media the day that it happens, the day it comes out, because you're going to find out, you're going to get spoilers. It's the way of the world. That being said, 
I was floored finding out that information, that they actually put the title on Goldberg. I personally thought that they were uh, setting this up for the, another person to go back onto the wall for The Fiend, even though I know, you know Goldberg's face was there already. I just thought that this was just something for them to fill because they didn't have an exact plan for The Fiend exactly for Mania. So they threw a huge curveball to me. And in as much as it really disappointed me at first, I'm kind of understanding what they're trying to do even though it's not something I personally like myself. And I'm assuming you mean that it looks like you're going to get, well, we know now after Friday, and we'll get to that in a minute, but Goldberg is going to be taking on Reigns for the title, and then obviously you have The Fiend versus Cena. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you that I was very surprised that it happened. I, I didn't understand quite all the hate uh, for it because I think this is kind of what you're getting into is, if Reigns took on The Fiend at WrestleMania, we know that crowd is going to boo Reigns out of the building during the entire match. You're assuming Reigns is going to be champ. It's been so long. He's, he's came back from leukemia. They're going to give him his moment, and he deserves it. And I think by him facing Goldberg, you're going to give a chance where I don't see that crowd really being, you know, hot fire for Goldberg. I actually think there's a chance they'll get behind Reigns. And then for The Fiend, he's going to get to face Cena. And, you know, I, I've made fun of John Cena for a decade, but there's no bigger man you can, you know, face at WrestleMania. I would even argue the Undertaker right now because of just the stage Undertaker is in his career. He can't put on the matches. John's going to make the Fiend look like a million bucks. You assume that he's, I hope, going to win. The Fiend is. Uh, What do you think this loss means for the Fiend moving forward? Uh, Well, Like you said, you know, I actually agree with your take in that putting the fiend in there with Cena is actually a phenomenal idea. Um, Actually, I I know we're going to be touching on SmackDown, but um, when they were going through some, but I just wanted to touch on the moment that they were talking when they showed a bunch of Cena flashbacks and uh, they showed when he had stepped to Kurt Angle and then Undertaker kind of, you know, shook his hand and was like, good job, kid, and, you know, asked who he was. It was kind of the beginning of his little torch passing right there, whereas now maybe we can get into more of a world-breaker type of character for The Fiend, and he doesn't have to be confined to being the champion. He can kind of come and go as he pleases. So, honestly, in the end, it will be a a really great thing for Bray Wyatt. I'm just happy that they did uh, finally give him a a title run because the man was long overdue. I I agree there, but it it is kind of questionable if he needs the belt. I mean, Undertaker won the title several times early in his career. I know he had one more run in the like kind of mid to late 2000s where him and Edge were going back and forth. But, I mean, he was the biggest guy on the roster for two decades and consistently was, you know, he wasn't like Cena or Orton or Triple H, you know, winning the title 12, 15, 16 times. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Fiend is that kind of character. And it was confusing that they gave him the belt in the first place, because then he's kind of in a no-win situation where you're building this guy up, and very rarely do, and I know The Fiend is 
over with the crowd, but he's technically a heel. Very rarely do heels go into Mania and retain the title. So you had to know that they were probably wanting a face to win the belt at, you know, Mania. And that's just going to weaken the thing. To me, the storyline that they were working on, and I don't know if, what they're doing with it now, but where he changed guys. And if there's not mm. a change in Goldberg moving forward, it kind of stops that movement because Daniel Bryan's had a change. We know Seth Rollins has had a change. Uh, mm-hmm. And that to me was really interesting that the Fiend is, you know, such a monster, I guess is what you want to call him, that not only would he defeat you, he would like literally change the person you are and I hope that's more the kind of way they're getting back with him, and this will give him some structure. And, God, I, if Cena wins, though, at Mania, I literally might lose my mind. And this is nothing against Cena, but it's just like <laughs> this only makes sense in that sense. Otherwise, it's it's baffling what they're doing. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, going on that change thing, um, even The Miz because The Miz oh, was yeah. a face uh, in the fall, and it happened to coincide right before uh, Morrison's comeback, where he started going through that change, you know, when he kind of uh, did his little heel turn with the New Day. All right, let's do one more thing about this, and honestly, I mean, I watched it. I wasn't that interested. It's Super Showdown, so we'll move on to some more interesting things, but... Just for the pay-per-view as a whole, what was your favorite book finish segment and what was your least favorite? Hmm. My, honestly, my favorite book segment was The Miz and Morrison. Don't get me wrong. I am a huge New Day fan, a monstrously huge New Day fan. The way that since John Morrison's come back, uh, I wasn't watching wrestling uh, when Morrison was around the first time around. So I only know him from uh, tape, the highlights that they show. And, you know, I've watched a couple of his older matches. And when he came back, it's like he didn't miss a beat, man. And those guys have been extremely hot since they came back. So to me, that wasn't as shocking for uh, them to drop the straps. Um, the most disappointing Ricochet. Um, You know, I know you and I had discussed this before, but what purpose did it serve for Brock Lesnar to come over there and just undo this man in less than five minutes? Like, what are you doing with this guy? We're, We're trying to build him up as a superhero, and yet they keep putting him in situations where he's he's really getting mauled and it's unfair to the skill set that he brings and to the talent that he has. I think he's the most underrated guy they have on their roster. And I'm shocked that they're not using him better. I mean, we'll get into AEW in a little bit, but they have guys that honestly are similar workers, but nowhere near as talented as this guy with the things that they can do or he can do, uh, just, I mean, his moveset is, I, I've never seen anything like it the first time I ever watched him. And I went back and watched the match before uh, we taped this. He didn't even get in a move. I mean, he literally went for a drop kick, got swatted away like a bug, and then the rest of it was Brock suplexes, you know, throwing him around, F5, one, two, three. And I completely agree with you on 
that being my least favorite, uh, you know, match. I just I don't understand why he's even in that match. I saw somebody on the group talking about that, you know, well, he's small. And it's like, okay, that, that's fair. But if he's small and he's not going to have any chance, why are you putting him in this match? Like, there's, a, a, there's other guys that they could have got for this position. And especially, as I was saying, this is one of the few pay-per-views where they can pay some, you know, old-timer who doesn't even wrestle on a regular basis anymore, you know, a god, uh, a, a huge amount of money. And then they can take that position. But to just squash somebody who is just getting started, I don't get it. The My favorite match of the night was actually Bailey. Uh, her win versus Naomi, I love the way she used uh, her her outfit against her. I mean, Bailey is on just an unbelievable run. And she gets overshadowed, and some of it is fair by Charlotte, you know, obviously by Becky Lynch, uh, you know, even by Sasha in a lot of ways. And for Bailey to go from the most, like, goody-goody baby face I've ever seen to the heel that she is, that it's almost like she's just a troll right now. And that's literally what she's trying to do is troll the audience, troll her opponent. She's winning in typical heel ways where it's a little bit nefarious. But what I love about it is it's also making her legit because she's still winning technically fair. She's bending the rules rather than just flat out breaking them. And I just, they, I really hope we get Sasha Bailey at Mania because I think they would tear the house down. And she's honestly the, the woman that is forgotten in this women's evolution. You just don't hear her name, even though she is one of the four horsewomen. No, I, you know what? I absolutely agree with you. You know, I think, and for me, this little time that Sasha has been out has been kind of a godsend because it really did remind me of how awesome she works. Like the, the title defenses that she's had versus um, Sergeant Slaughter and this past one with Naomi. Yeah. She just shows that she can really carry a match and she is well-deserving of this title reign right now. And yes, absolutely love the way she used her shirt against her. You know, <laughs> of course they had to cover her up being over in Saudi Arabia and she used that to her advantage. It is beautiful. And we, a lot of times give WWE booking shit. We're about to in just a second. But I also always <laughs> tell people, if you're going to give them crap when they do terrible stuff, give them credit when they do something like this because th- that was the absolute perfect way to book that match. Bailey wins. She looks strong. Naomi loses, but she also looks strong because, you know, would she have kicked out without the shirt being, you know, wrapped around her? It just it, – it was very good. So let's uh, move on to SmackDown on Friday night. We discussed a little bit about – both of us understand – why WWE did what they did at Super Showdown. And, you know, me being the person I am, I can't not state my opinion. So I'm in Facebook groups and on Twitter and stuff, and all these people are just, like, wanting to burn everything to the ground. I'm like, there's reason to this. Like, I'm like, just let's really think about it. It really makes a lot more sense for to have Goldberg reign, spear versus spear, generational guy versus generational guy. And it does make more sense for Fiend Cena because they have all this history Cena always got over Bray. I mean, always, at least in the big matches. So it actually makes sense if you're moving to a Reigns and Fiend win at Mania. And then they go, and the way they book it, 
I mean, the Reigns part doesn't bother me as much because he just basically came out and said, I'm next. And it's kind of like with Cena at the end of his run when he was an everyday guy. They reach a certain level where they can get what they want. We know that. Like, it's both, uh, you know, the traditional wrestling terms and also bringing Kaya. But it's, you, you know they can do what they want. So that makes sense. But then for the Fiend to come out and point at the WrestleMania sign, it's just like that's straight out of the Undertaker playbook. And I know we want him to be an Undertaker-type guy, but, like, the Undertaker had been, what, around 20 years the first time he did that versus Triple H where he just pointed at the sign and, you know, let's do this. I just cannot believe they literally took something that I defended for 24 hours and just sped both of those matches to the extreme. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. It's like, couldn't they have come up with something a little more original? Yes, uh, we get it. They they tend to reuse, you know, storylines from here and there. But, yeah, that one really kind of just, it, it stuck in my craw. They They could have. I don't know, had an attack of some sort. I I, I know it was in exactly. Boston and it was in, you know, it's in, and, and that would, that would have made it so much better to me if it would have been the attack. The crowd would have been like, pissed. You know, absolutely. Especially in Boston, especially in Boston. And that would have definitely fueled it better, but just the point, you didn't try to creep him out at all. Just you're there. Like it was not it on wasn't character the way at all. No, and I, I, it just it 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 didn't go over well for me. You know, the worst the worst thing for me is that for this past SmackDown, I enjoyed the John Cena highlights more than I enjoyed the actual show. And both of the WWE shows have. I mean, Raw. I will give it. I'm not crazy about some of the people that they're pushing, but they have some really good storylines going, and they're they're consistent. Like, you know, the, the Rollins-Messiah stuff is great, and they keep using it. Even though we saw the, you know, Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, insert third man versus, uh, you know, the heels so much. Again, it was consistent over and over again. On SmackDown, I mean, it's all over the place. That was really why I was so shocked that Goldberg won the title was you announced the match, he had, I think, one interview, then you had the Hulk Hogan interview the next week, and then the one showdown between Goldberg and The Fiend, and it just, that was not set up for me for a title change, at least I didn't see it coming. And then WWE just, again, just really questionable booking. They had the tag team champs, who you're just talking about. I, I love Morrison and Miz. Anytime you're going to give The Miz a storyline, I just think he's an underrated MVP. He's, he's great at whatever he does. And the main thing is he works his ass off. And then you have them lose their first match, like, the night after when they just got back together. They just beat the New Day. And, I mean, we're going to get into why booking so important and the success of AEW right now. But it's just almost like different people are making calls or people are just – forgetting what happened the night before. I mean, it was 24 hours ago. They win the titles, and they're like, okay, on a pay-per-view that maybe I would hope a half, maybe half of the crowd that's going to be watching SmackDown on free TV was watching. 
So maybe they didn't see it. So this is their first time seeing the new champs, and then you have them lose immediately, uh, you know, even though that it was to the Usos, which that's, I guess, as good of a loss as you can have. But this, this booking just makes no sense, and I don't want to make it seem like we're just here to bash, you know, WWE. But, I mean, this is making it really easy to do. They really are, and it's st- – and like you said – we do, I don't want to sit here because I'm still going to be watching. I am still going to have my network subscription for now, you know, depending on what they're doing with the big four, though that's a completely separate conversation altogether. Just give me some consistency, please. You know, the, the way they're going about it, like, yes, they, that was their celebration and you have them, their celebration not only, okay, yeah, give us the, you're being thrown into the elimination chamber. Fine. But to have them lose, we, now they're setting it up to the possibility that they win the championships and never win a single match. And before losing said championships. So it just, it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It, it doesn't. Uh is there anything else, before we move on to AW? is there anything else in WWE? Actually, let's do this because you mentioned that, you know, there's rumors going around. Uh, this is what Ron Hill was speaking to, if you don't know this, that they're going to, I guess, sell off the pay-per-view package and make it where the WWE Network, I had heard it was all pay-per-views. The big four make it a little bit less of a sting, uh, but still mm-hmm. a thing. They're basically going to take the pay-per-views, either the major ones or all of them, off the WWE, go back through either, I think, another uh, one of the streaming services or, you know, back to the cable packages. And I think it would be a huge mistake by them because uh, it, it's the Netflix model. I mean, they have so much cash on hand. Because, you know, people go, well, you know, that's only like $9 a month. It's like, yeah, but if you have a million subscribers, that's $9 million a month. Uh, that adds up really quickly. So any kind of change, uh, you know, a, a bunch of people mass exiting their subscription WWE network would be a big deal. And most people sign up for literally Mania, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam. It's exactly what happened to me. So... And that's exactly my point. <laughs> like, uh, I want to keep the network, and in as much as I'm, you know, me- trying to manage my time better, it's nice to know that if I want to take a stroll down memory lane, I can go down onto the network and watch some good old goodness, you know, maybe some WWF superstars from when I was a child. But if you're going to take away the main reason why I subscribe to the network, there's no reason for me to subscribe to the network. I, I was literally able to convince my wife when I first signed up, because we have way too many streaming services as it is, was that, look, I pay three, four times a year, fifty nine ninety nine for a pay-per-view, whether it be Mania or, you know, there's a good build to another one. Well, I mean, nine ninety nine times 12 is basically, you know, two of them, uh, if you want to kind of round up. And so yes, why not? And I've been on it ever since. And uh, it just, to me, it's it's a really short-sighted decision. I'm hoping it's just a rumor uh, because I really think you would see a revolt by so many uh, WWE fans. 
Absolutely. And when when we get into what we're going into next, they'll they'll understand why. I mean, especially with uh, AEW and their quote unquote competition NXT. Why would we? <laughs> exactly. Uh, is there any other WWE storylines? Because we didn't talk at all really about the Raw side of it that you're interested in or you want to discuss. Um, just real quickly, just uh, the Street Profits. They looked really great in their uh, first tag team championship match. Uh, in as much as I wanted them to win, I wasn't really expecting them to win it yet, but I do believe that we're building up for uh, the Street Profits, hopefully, to get their run as tag champions. Uh, they are money in the future. Because I've been amazed. One of the really bright spots of Raw, you know, for the last, hell, I guess, three, four months since they've been called up is just, you know, at first I was like, why do they keep letting these guys talk and not wrestle? Uh, but they were such good talkers, I understood it. But now that I've seen them in the ring enough, I'm also wondering again, why were you not letting these guys talk and wrestle from the get-go? Because, I mean, they can go on the mic, they can go in the ring, uh, and that – I mean, that's money and WWE, and I really hope they get the tag team division going. One other thing, the Seth Rollins Messiah, it's maybe my favorite character gimmick he's ever had. I love how he's embracing it. I love how there's some truth to what he's saying about It's kind of like Daniel Bryan when he had the fickle uh, stuff Mm -hmm. when he first turned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's, you know, it's playing off the fan, which is true. We are, we're, we're awful. Like the fan base, I mean, I'm a fan, but we, you know, we want, 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 and it's just like I was saying, we'll, we'll bash all day, but not give credit. But where do you, do you think they're building to something big or they're just giving him something to do? Right now, I think they're just giving Rollins something to do because um, honestly, Seth is just a worker and he is a mainstay. You know, you were talking about um, how fantastic the Miz is. And I was reminded of the time when it was the Miz, uh, Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler, you know, all vying for the intercontinental title. And those guys were just completely bringing the house all the time. And, those guys, like like you said, Miz is just money, man. You you give him a storyline, he's gonna play it all the way out, and he's going to generate a buzz regardless of whether you like it or if you don't. And that's all you can really ask for for your for your wrestling superstar. So, yeah, I think right now they're just giving Rollins something to do. But you know, at least he's going with it. I, I'm just kind of one. I, I was hoping that it was gonna be more of while he's doing this quote-unquote messiah thing, aren't where are you leading the AOP to? That's a good question. That, that's the, and I also don't that's know, the only problem I have. I, I want them to add, keep adding people. I mean, I think if you look at some of these factions like this that have been sort of, uh, you know, like CM Punk when he did the straight edge, the, the Undertaker with the ministry – what was cool was they kept adding people. And since AOP basically started from the beginning, they obviously added uh, – it's just Murphy now, right, which is weird. Uh, and I really think they need to add a female. And there's a couple of good ones on that side that, that you could do really easily. You, you could go with 
you know, Mandy Rose. You could go with uh, Sonya Deville. I mean, I just think they need to continue to do this. I kind of liked where they went with the referee. I'm actually interested to see uh, tonight where they go with that because if they continue to, you know, you don't know who is sort of a Seth Rollins closet follower. It just leads to a lot of stuff that will surprise people and you won't see coming. And uh, I'm assuming with AOP, they're literally just trying to get them as much face time as possible. But I, I do worry that the ship has kind of sailed with those guys. I mean, we were talking about this, I believe, last time we got together. It's like, why would you give Rollins and Murphy the tag team titles when it's like AOP is a tag team? And they need the belts much more than, you know, Seth and, and Buddy Murphy did. Exactly. All right, well, that's enough about WWE because that was mostly complaining. We're going to get to something that uh, both of us are just loving right now. AEW had their Evolution pay-per-view. If you have not watched it, I highly recommend uh, you go and and check this entire card out. It was really good from top to bottom. They had five matches that I definitely want to discuss sort of in detail uh, tonight. There was really six or seven matches that I love, but I just, I don't want to go too crazy. I don't want to be able to take this in whatever direction we want to. So let's start with the second match of the night, which was uh, Darby Allen versus Sammy Guerra. And this reminded me so much of just what we're talking about ricochet, where these are two smaller guys. I know nobody's going to look at these guys and go world champion, but I just always remind people when they say that, that nobody said Daniel Bryan looked like a future world champion or CM Punk or a lot of these other guys, even Chris Benoit back in the day. So they've got two guys that are unbelievable athletes. They can just go in the ring and they let those guys go. My only complaint about this match was it should have opened and not Dustin Rhodes versus uh, Jack Hager. But I mean, this match is, I hope where wrestling is going in the future, uh, much like in basketball, you see kind of the big sort of dying out because it's just not as fun to watch a big guy back another big guy down for 15 seconds in the shot clock and see smaller athletic guys moving around. I think this is the kind of wrestling that is way more exciting to watch, and you can still have your big heavyweights for side spectacles. But, I mean, nine times out of ten, this is the kind of match I want to see. 100% 100% agree with you. I fortunately had the chance to watch that earlier today and just holy crap, Darby and Sammy told quite a story. I mean, the pop that Darby got when he had came back just this past week to lead up to, into this match was absolutely phenomenal. And just the way that they're uh, shining a spotlight on two young, exciting superstars with very uh, gifted uh, prowesses. It's just so amazing. I I love Darby's suicide dive, just the way he can just chain together his offense. It's so amazing. And these guys put on a killer set. I was not aware that Sammy could go in the ring like this. I, I, and I, you know, I've told you and tell people I'm, I've been getting more and more into AEW because it's, it's just so good right now. And I've seen them, you know, in a few matches, they've mostly been tag matches, 
to where he's only in for short spurts. But, I mean, I knew that Darby Allen was, you know, an indie darling, somebody that a lot of people think has got a huge future and is going to be the next, you know, big guy. But to, for, you know, Sammy to go toe-to-toe with him and just – I left that match thinking, man, both of these guys have a really big future ahead of them. Absolutely right, man. Like, Sammy, and he's under the tutelage of Le Champion. <laughs> and, you know, he's I, – I, I'm sorry. I, I absolutely love what – a lot of people are crapping on Chris Jericho. I absolutely love what he has been doing for AEW. And the way he's been grooming <laughs> – the way he's been grooming Sammy Guevara and Santana and Ortiz – and even, you know, to a lesser degree, Jake Hager, you know, who's already got, uh, cut his chops in professional wrestling. Like, these guys are doing amazing, and I just can't wait. And this is only year one for AEW. Uh, I, I, they've got a really bright future. And, you know, Darby and Sammy are totally at the top of the line uh, in leading this charge. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about Jericho's character and stuff when we get to his match. Uh, Second, I want to talk about, and again, this is going to probably be somewhat a prisoner of the moment comment, but I've now watched the Young Bucks versus Omega and Hangman twice, uh, and I think it may be the greatest tag team match I've ever seen, ever, when you combine – the movesets with the story that it told, I know for a fact it's the best one I've seen in the last decade, maybe two decades. Uh, maybe you'd have to go back to the heart. You haven't seen those matches in so long. I know there's some great tag team, uh, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, obviously, uh, you know, Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys. But I, I just, I literally was blown away by this match. Uh, I loved how they teased Hangman turning on Omega, which they've done you know, for what, weeks now on the show, and they just kept teasing it and teasing it. And it wasn't until I noticed the Young Bucks were working, like, flat-out heels uh, for three-fourths of that match, and I would love to know if that was an audible and if it was when Hangman got that reaction when he came out. I mean, it was arguably the biggest pop of the night. Did they just make a, literally, a change on the fly, and the Young Bucks were like, we're going to work heel and maybe change what was a plan for Hangman to turn on Omega. What did you think about this match? I thought that that was the daggone best match of this card, and that's hard to say because top to bottom, this was crazy. Um, A buddy of mine, uh, that was actually the first match that I got to watch before I got a chance to rewatch the card in its entirety. And holy cow. The way, like, yeah, I mean, you said it. It started off with a teasing, like, you know, Hangman was going to go heel. You know, he spit in Matt's face during the match. And, you know, you you thought that there was going to be some kind of friction. And just, wow. Like, the double Northern Light suplexes after uh, oh my God. Nick had had his back worked on and does it on the ramp. I mean, it, it, it was reminding me of the old um, war games, you know, because, you know, NWA used to always have that uh, ramp on some of their special pay-per-views, and holy crap, the action, the moves, the 
the story. Like it's it's you know yeah they you know showed the work up to the the build up to the match and so on and so forth, and you know Hangman almost turning heel was just kind of just hanging on by the thread at each moment through this match. And then to see him and Kenny kind of pull it together at the end, just holy cow. What an amazing And this is something that we did discuss, I know, last time we got on pay-per-view together, was why is WWE not using tag teams to build guys up? And this is a perfect example because – you know, the Young Bucks are one of the best tag teams in the world. It took me a long time to get on board with them. I think that the people that say that they're too reliant on spots, I can understand that. But you see them work a match like they did on Saturday, and it's like, dude, guys are super talented. And, I mean, can just tell a story. So you got them on one side, and then to have Omega – who I've heard a lot of people complain about the way they've used him because he was their biggest name, best wrestler. I guess if you want to say Cody might could have been a bigger name or obviously Jericho, but he was supposed to be, in a lot of people's minds, the star. I love that they kind of gave him a backseat, and now they're slowly building momentum because what they're doing is now not only do they have Omega, who is a house-known name, you're going to build up Hangman, and when these guys split, which you know it's going to happen, and you know it's going to be ugly, you're going to build two big guys that are going to be single stars. And if you want to build the, you know, Omega gets screwed out of the title, and then that opens him up to feud with Hangman and then go to the title, that's a great storyline. Or if the crowd's going to continue to get behind Hangman and the drinking beer and all, and he has done a great job with that character. You can just continue the story they started in this tag team match where the Young Bucks basically said, you're only where you are because we put you here. You know what I'm saying? He's the underdog. He's the guy that is the friend of the group, not in the group of the elite. And he went through the Young Bucks here, and eventually he goes through Omega, and that might lead to him with a title run. But either way, and again, it gets back to storytelling, this can go a million different ways. This can turn the Young Bucks officially heal if they want to and it's all basically happened in a 30-minute match because they only set this up two weeks ago absolutely amazing and you're absolutely right because the various ways that this can go and hell this can even turn into a way where the young bucks uh do a complete heel turn for the titles i mean there's so many ways that they can just go at this and the way that they tell their stories in the ring, not so much uh, via interview or promo is absolutely amazing. And I'm loving everything and I'm here for it. <laughs> so again, we're about to move on to the next match, but if you have not watched that, I know that RC posted it in the IB sports group, go watch it. It's 29 minutes. Even if you're not a big wrestling fan, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It really is. So next we're going to move on to another just really drawn-out story, uh, Cody versus MJF. Uh, Cody has, you know, I mean, I guess Cody is basically the Vince McMahon, Triple H of AEW because he's got a lot of stock in it. I know that the Hardy Boys, I mean, excuse me, Hardy Boys, the Young Bucks, and Omega and some of those other guys <laughs> in Jericho do too, but 
Cody has just been so upfront. He's been, you know, the person speaking. And I just think it's great that this is a guy who has spent his entire career in the shadow of his dad, his entire career really not getting pushed the way people think he deserved to. And then he gets in a position where I will be the first to admit that I'm like, okay, Cody is going to be the guy in AEW. He's going to get to be the guy. And so what does he do? He fights Jericho with a stipulation that if he loses, he can't fight for the title again. Everybody assumed he was going to win. He loses that match, makes a huge heel out of MJF, and now here they are, you know, in this brawl and this I mean, the setup of this match was great with with the him not Cody not being able to touch him, the, the whipping, and then this was just a brutal, brutal match. Uh, and again, just a really well told story. Uh, and I obviously want to hear what you think about the match, but first, what is up with Cody Rhodes' new neck tattoo? That is a great question. I have no idea like i saw the i had saw the post of the tattoo before i actually saw the pay-per-view and i i basically did the the blank the, the blank stare that a dog does with the cocked head and all like what is going on with this but uh aside from that, that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> But aside from that, what a match, man. These guys went in there and they beat each other up. Told a phenomenal story of just Cody wanting wanting to enact his revenge for the betrayal. Just everything. This is the the only storyline that I feel has done uh, an equal split with basically the promos and such but it is perfectly told. And with the way that Cody continues to build up the people in this organization, he is playing the long game because I tell you what, I cannot stand MJF and Cody (laughs) is the reason why (laughs) Cody is the reason why, but uh, MJF, that Wardlow is, man, that guy's going to be something. That guy's a monster. But what an amazing story that they told in there. And, you know, Cody getting to bust him up. He's not the one bathed in blood for the first time and yet still to lose. And I love the way that they ended it with him, you know, using his stinking diamond pinky ring. Oh, <laughs> man, what a great match. And, again, this is where people, you know, I think are learning to trust AEW, and that's why you don't hear as much complaining from, you know, the wrestling community when they make moves that are questionable because when they took MJF, who everybody thought was going to be a monster heel, he just looks like it. I mean, he looks like a guy you just want to punch. And they put him with Cody, and he was a good guy. You're going, what are you doing? And it was just to build it up for them to implode, and then now he's a mega heel to where if he would have just started out as a heel, if he didn't get over on his own, you know, Cody basically assisted him in building that heat and getting people to just flat out hate him. So is this the best use of Cody, though, in AEW? 
Um, it wasn't the use that I, as a wrestling fan, would have assumed. Like you said, that stipulation to never wear the strap, that's kind of ingenious because we would have – none of us were buying that. None of us, we were, like, I thought for sure – I'm like, oh, yeah, so Cody definitely wins now. And for them to throw that curveball, yeah, I'm sure that they can throw a storyline in there once they're well-settled years down the road. But, wow, that's amazing. And Cody, you know, being one of the top guys to help put this entire organization together, he is doing the thing – he's doing everything in his power to build the people he's bringing in. And I just – Flat out applaud him. It, I mean, it's it's really impressive what they're doing. They deserve credit. Let's uh, move on to the next match. That it was Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Uh, this is just again just both talent and amazing booking. Because when I first heard about Orange Cassidy, I was like, what is this? And the way AEW has introduced him and, you know, put him in a lot of six-man tag matches to where he has those spurts with his hands in his pockets. I, I chuckle every time he does the shin kick uh, very nonchalantly. The fact that when he came to the ring, they said, from wherever, weighing whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just been a, I mean, he lives the gimmick, and, like, you have to respect that. But then to see him in a match like this against Pac, who we know can wrestle, and to see him, when he took his hands out and, like, really started trying, I'm like, holy shit, like, this could be, this guy could be a champion one day with this gimmick to where, you know, he's too cool. But occasionally, like, he just reaches a point where he starts trying and – I thought it was an amazing match. I just was thinking that, just think about that this guy has gotten so over with literally keeping his hands in his pockets and being nonchalant. I mean, it's fucking brilliant. Like, it really is if you think about it. And the other thing I thought during the match is, how did WWE waste Pac so bad? I mean, yes, he's smaller, but that dude is so jacked. He's so good in the ring, and I actually think he could be an intimidating heel even at his size fighting bigger guys because some people are just badasses. And to me, he gives off that feeling when they're not calling him, what were they calling him, Mighty Mouse or whatever crap they were doing in WWE. I mean, like, what were they doing? But it was just, again, a master class and a match that people were like, what what are they doing putting Orange Cassidy with Pac? And it was an incredible match. Absolutely, man. Like, I I thought the exact same thing. Like, I was like, what are they going to do to Orange Cassidy? Like, he's going to get in here and he's going to get crushed. The dude, (laughs) God, I want to be as cool as he is. (laughs) But but he is so fluid in there. Like, once he had gotten uh, visibly kind of upset, and started actually going. It was like, holy shit, this guy can go. The way he combined his offense and the, the oh my God, like how are you wrestling with your hands in your pockets like that? Exactly. 
doing suicide dives. And, it's like, what a maniac. <laughs> but what was most impressive to me was um, – what was it, a gut wrench that I believe Pac was going for, and he wound up turning it into uh, an arm drag with his hand still in his pocket. That was, was so amazing. beautiful. Yes. But, yeah, what do you I, think I the mean, ceiling is for Cassidy? Honestly, I can see him uh, being a champion, you know, a few years down the line. Like you said, we're in we're in the time where you're right. Like the the guys with the smaller frames, with the smaller builds, you know, your Sammy Guevara's, your Darby Allens. I mean, hell, WWE already did it with the Seth Rollinses and Daniel Bryans, as you said. These are your your everyday guys, and these are the guys you want to be relatable. You want some. You want them to to have some sort of draw to make them relatable. Orange Cassidy. Everybody wants to be as cool as he is. The the wait, yeah. I I when when the announcer said that, I heard it in his in Orange Cassidy's what well what I imagine Orange Cassidy's voice is. <laughs> <laughs> because but the dude is a flat out stud and he's going to be he's definitely going to be a champion. The only thing I wonder is is if they would ever actually, you know, I can table that until later. No, go ahead. I'm interested. No, I, I was only just thinking um, once they introduce maybe a, a mid card championship in AEW, which I, I hope they do because they got so many guys right now. But again, before we move on to the title match, they're using them so well. I mean, we just went over. Three of these four matches that we talked about were non-title matches. Two of them were basically thrown together in a short period of time, and they were great matches. And it's just like it just it could it's something again not to you know harp on it, but WWE could learn from that storylines matter, and if you can just put something together and then tell a good story in the ring, fans will love it. So just do better WWE. the title match, finally, we had Moxley, a.k.a. Dean Ambrose, versus La Champion, Chris Jericho, who, I mean, I know you were just talking about, I, if anybody is saying right now this Jericho run is crap, they are like an idiot. Uh, I think this is arguably his best character he's ever done, and that is saying something. I mean, this is a guy who's been Y2J, he had, and I don't know if you were big into wrestling this time, the, the Goldberg streak, where he had his own streak next yeah. to Goldberg, yes. and he was fighting like all these midgets <laughs> and stuff, and it's just like, I mean, this guy is a legend, a legend. I mean, he was the evil Silent Hill versus Shawn Michaels. You had the return when he fought CM Punk, where he didn't say anything for like a month. I mean, he is, in my opinion, like rocketing up the all-time great list because He's almost 50. He can still go in the ring. And more impressively, he got all these guys over uh, in the last six months, including a guy that they called Jack the Jungle Boy. I mean, think about that. And that's a dude that's my size. Like, he might weigh maybe 150 pounds soaking wet. And Chris Jericho made him look like a million bucks in one segment and a 10-minute time limit match. Uh, it's, it's been incredible. 
I was surprised that Moxley won. And I guess my first question in this match to you is, like, was this the right time for Jericho to lose the belt? Yes, I, I, I honestly do. Um, he's carried the strap, uh, what are we looking at, about eight months now, something something like that. So you had to open up sh- with a, a strong title run. He's been the ultimate heel of heels, being a mastermind of the inner circle, just doing all sorts of things to completely get under your skin. He just He's been the guy, and I absolutely love it because just the way that he elicits a response, be it good or bad, he's doing everything that uh, a great champion should. And I totally agree with you. You know, a buddy of mine and I, talk all the time how by the time it's all said and done we might be talking about Chris Jericho as one of if not the greatest of all time he definitely deserves to go on Mount Rushmore because I mean he was a big name in WCW I know he never got to be the top guy but he was a big name and I mean honestly if you look at it when Jericho left that was really the time that WCW started to went down, go down I'm not putting a direct correlation to it, but it played a part. Uh, He obviously was the first universal world champion. I mean, I always tell people, all you have to know about what WWE thought about Chris Jericho, he beat The Rock and Stone Cold in the same night. In the same night. In the early 2000. In the same night. Like, think about that. Uh, And then, like I said, they keep bringing him back. His feud with Shawn Michaels... Uh, in the late 2000s is, is one of my favorite feuds ever. Uh, and then for him, he has been, if I guess you could say Cody could be the MVP, but if not, Jericho has without a doubt been an MVP of AEW and a reason they have all this momentum because they needed that name. And I know the Young Bucks and Omega and Cody and those guys are known, even Pac, but like they're not Chris Jericho. Uh, and it, it's just been, I mean, a little bit of the bubbly, like Le Champion, <laughs> the way he teased people with the list. I mean, even the weigh-in the other night, which was just classic Jericho, where he would not get on the weights, and he'd take off his scarf, and then he'd take off his shirt, and then he'd take off his <laughs> shoes. And, I mean, it just you can just tell he's having a blast, and he's just so good. And I just love the way he – is the guy in this organization right now. He has, I'm sure, the most pull of any wrestler in that, including Cody. And he has been so willing to, you know, give guys that nobody's heard of a 10-minute match where it basically goes the time limit. And he, he barely escapes. And it's, it's just refreshing. So on the other side of it, Moxley, who is just – I mean, again, what, like, this is the guy I'm sure he wanted to be in WWE, and I just don't understand why WWE didn't let it happen because, and I know I'm probably going to get killed for this, but I can't help but think of Stone Cold when I see him walk to the ring because he's just got that cock of the walk, (laughs) like, just strut. Like, I am the baddest motherfucker in this building, and I know it, you know it, and I'm going to win. Because, I mean, honestly, this match out of the five we're discussing, probably was my least favorite match overall. It says more about the strength of those other matches because I enjoyed this, but 
I thought there was a little bit too much interference. I didn't really understand why he needed to get one over on him about the eye. Like, I actually thought it would be pretty cool if it's going to be Moxley. He might as well want to with a patch and, you know, not being able to see out of one eye. But my only concern is will Moxley be able to continue this momentum with the title? Can he? Absolutely. Honestly, right now, like you said, uh, <laughs> I was actually kind of thinking uh, how, how you were talking about his intro. It kind of reminds me of a less accentuated D'Lo Brown, except he actually oh, delivers right. all the time. <laughs> but no, I'm absolutely loving John Moxley. See, um, again, not to bash WWE, but look these guys a hint of direction and then the liberty to enjoy their characters and just watch what they do like moxley right now uh, i i didn't know john the john moxley before he became dean ambrose so i wasn't aware of you know his hardcore antics until after after the fact the fact that uh you get to see him in, in an environment where he gets to do exactly what he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. You can see he's enjoying himself right now. You can see most of these guys are really enjoying what they're doing right now. And I totally believe that Moxley's going to carry this. He's, I think there's probably going to be at least a good six, eight, maybe even a year with the strap even. You know, you, you got a happy guy who's willing to go in and throw it all, throw caution to the wind every single Wednesday night. He's going to enjoy this. And I think that he's got a very long title reign in front of him. My only concern about him is I hope he is not, you know, honestly like a stone cold where it was so much better when they were chasing the championship than it was when they had it. But, you know, I guess you're right that if they continue just to let him be the character that he is right now, he's going to take on all comers. I'm sure they're going to throw a bunch of different guys at him. And I'm assuming eventually Kenny Omega is the guy that has to get over on him, especially because Moxley won that match. So I could see, you know, a six-month to a year run with Moxley's champion and, and, you know, Kenny wanting that rematch and finally getting it for the belt and, you know, finding a way to get over. Uh, but I, I'm very excited about this run, and I think that it needs to be said that I believe it was Stone Cold who said on one of his podcasts that the best WWE superstars are basically themselves turned up to about a 1,000. And you really can see that with John Moxley, that he's basically being who he is just with it turned up a little bit more uh, than normal. Um, one more thing on this match because I, I want to talk about it. we got to get out of here, but do you think this was the best Jericho version character you've ever seen? Hands down. Um, like I said, like I missed um, the, the early 2000s version. You know, I caught clips of them here and there, and I've always appreciated the work because no matter what, you put a mic or you put a mic in his hand or a person in the ring with him and you will be wowed. You will con- he will continue to put on, you know, great matches, but to see his evolution into what he's become now 
And, you know, honestly, as, as old as he is, he's probably at the top of his game right now. And he can still hit the gyrosol, which is, to me, just mind-boggling because he's almost 50. I mean, let's be honest, he's got a beer gut, but I love how he's staring into that with his wardrobe and stuff. And, I mean, he can still do a backflip off the middle rope onto a guy, which is just crazy at that age. Absolutely. I mean, I saw that lion salt as I knew it, and it's like, damn, that was perfect. It was, I mean, he still shows that he can go. Like, I, I know there's a lot of AEW detractors out there. They see the, you know, the pictures of him, and, you know, they laugh at the beer, the beer belly and so on and so forth. The man's still getting there, and he's putting in the work. And he's putting on entertaining matches. He's the, one of the best heels that you could possibly ask for right now, and he's leading a very strong faction. I mean, what more can you ask for basically the, you know, the second, third biggest name that was uh, drawed when they first uh, created AEW? Well, I mean, just look at what he's done in eight months to a year for this, this organization. I mean, it's like what I was saying. Jericho was literally the reason I started checking it out weekly because I wanted to see, you know, him talk, basically, because it was, you know, he was that funny, his character was that good. He, he's he got a entrance song that's as over as any song I've seen uh, maybe since, like, Fandango. I mean, people love it. He's got... You know, he takes the champagne, turns that into something that they can sell. And, again, he built four guys by doing a faction, uh, and arguably more than that with some of the dudes that they've put over in the ring. It's just whatever they're paying him for the last year, they got a deal. I mean, period, because he has really put them over the map, and it meant a lot for John Moxley, who we can now assume is their next D guy, uh, to be able to beat Jericho to be their champion. Absolutely. I mean, I am so excited for the direction that they're going. They're keeping me entertained. They're keeping me uh, wondering what the next move is going to be. I mean, and, you know, Chris Jericho, you got to assume, is one of the guys that's helping with booking this stuff. All right. So, do you want to talk about at the very end of this? Uh, well, actually, first let's go to this question I saw. Uh, it was from, uh, I believe, Regan Khan, uh, and he was asking if you could take a guy in AEW and put them in WWE to get the most use out of them, or vice versa. Who would it be? Honestly, you could either go with the Young Bucks to throw some. Uh, some new life into their tag team division. Um, you know, again, I don't want to keep bashing WWE. You've got so many amazing tag teams and it's just, what are you doing with your tag team division? You could throw the young bucks in there and they would blow it up. Conversely, I would bring another tag team over to AEW could you imagine the Usos fighting the Young Bucks in AEW? Wow. It would be that would be a great one. That would be a great one. 
Honestly, um, the, my only uh, problem with AEW is they need some stronger women in there. Oh, yeah. I know they're still building this division and all that, and I'm trying not to – I know I did this last time. We we need some stronger women to, to build this thing, uh, and I don't understand what they're doing with the storylines because where's Brandy Rhodes with her faction? Where have they gone off to? But I digress. I'm, who would? Who do you I'm think sure would work? That. Well, that's what I was going to... My suggestion for WWE to AEW would be either somebody like Bailey or Sasha, who is a little bit forgotten in WWE. I know that sounds ridiculous because they've both been champs numerous times. But, I mean, honestly, as long as Charlotte, uh, Becky, and when Ronda comes back, I mean, you're at best fourth banana. Like, that's what it is. And I, I think both of them could work with just about anybody. So that would be my move for there. For AEW going over to WWE, honestly, it would be Cody. Uh, and only because of the storyline. I mean, you know, whether you want to make it an invasion angle, coming back for revenge, uh, you know, building to him AAA. I mean, there's so many ways it could go because of what has happened since he's left. Uh, and that's really the only reason it would be is from a storyline position. If you're just talking about what guy I think would be the biggest star in WWE, it'd obviously be Kenny Omega because, I mean, could you imagine watching him and AJ Styles at, like, the Royal Rumble or, you know, say next year's Mania? People would lose their minds. I mean, people would literally lose their minds. Uh, Do you want to real quickly talk about the – the pay-per-view coming up on Sunday, or you real quickly want to talk Mania a little bit more? Um, well, let's go with uh, let's go with Mania since we're more familiar with uh, everything that's going on. Because unfortunately, with Super Showdown, they haven't had a chance to really build everything that's going to happen uh, at Elimination Chamber. Uh, as far as I remember, so far we have a tag title match at the Elimination Chamber, um, but I'm not sure what else we have. Happening there? Oh no, no. You, I, I know you we have a lady that, that women's chamber match too. The women's number one, yes, the women's number one contender match. But I mean, that's not a lot. So, what match that has been booked recently for Mania are you most excited? We had the Charlotte versus uh, Rhea. You got obviously Reigns Goldberg, and you got the Fiend and uh, um, Cena. I, I guess we could also say Edge and Orton. Um, so honestly, out of those four, out of those four, I'm actually looking forward to, um, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte. Uh, Rhea Ripley has been one of my favorite, uh, women wrestlers of the last year. She's been on an absolutely amazing tear right now. Um, we don't know how the, I mean, we don't know exactly if the storyline is going to play, continue to play the way it is, but, the way Rhea Ripley has been working this past uh, while and with Charlotte actually helping to uh, put NXT on the map and likely having an NXT, um, no matter what, we have a women's championship NXT on WrestleMania. Very much looking forward to that. And it's going to just continue to push um, NXT's brand. 
Do you think there's any chance that ends up being on the NXT pay-per-view Saturday night and not on Mania? Like the headliner for the NXT show? Charlotte and Rhea? Yeah. No, well, it could. I hope not. I I, I hope not. Um, That's Rhea Ripley, from everything that she's uh, done this, you know, from the past few pay-per-views, deserves to have her WrestleMania moment. The only reason I'm curious if they would do it is a few of the wrestling podcasts I listen to, I've heard that WWE is considering doing a two-night mania, which I think they need to do because, I mean, it was like last year. I was so excited for the Becky-Charlotte-Ronda fight, and I think it was like hour seven. Dude, I was gassed. Mm. Time that thing came on. And if you could have two three-and-a-half-hour pay-per-views on Saturday and Sunday, uh, and I just I, – I honestly think Charlotte and Rhea are going to get more of an opportunity to tear the house down if that happens on Saturday night because on Sunday they're going to be competing uh, with some, you know, pretty good matches. They're going to obviously get a lot of time. I guess the counterpoint would be, you know, Goldberg – and Reigns probably isn't going to be very long. You know, Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre probably won't be very long. So there will be time to fill. But uh, I am kind of curious to see where that goes if, if they end up moving that to Saturday. But uh, I also heard on uh, the Masked Man show it wouldn't be a mania opportunity without that. But they did worry that if that happens on Saturday, then Charlotte could sneak into either one of the title matches on Sunday saying, I fought last night. My win at the Royal Rumble guarantees me a main event at WrestleMania, and she just inserts herself in either the Becky match or the Bailey match. Mm, I, I can see that happening. I mean, I hope it doesn't. You know, I say leave NXT takeovers as they are. They've been flat-out amazing. Please don't touch it. Don't screw with it in any sort of way. Yes, I get it that it's the NXT championship, but Charlotte said that, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to main event NXT at WrestleMania. So I'm hoping they don't pull that. And do you think there's any chance Charlotte wins the belt? Uh, quite honestly, no. Um, she's not needed for the future of the NXT women's division. They're well-stocked. We've got a great group of women, some who have yet to vie for the title and will be vying for the title in the future. I don't see a need to put on Charlotte to bring her to NXT. I completely agree with everything you just said, but this is Charlotte Flair, so I'm not going to be surprised if she ends up winning the title and going on right. this run on uh, NXT, or maybe they move the title over to, you know, one of their big boy shows. I don't know. Uh, and they could just be building up Wednesday because, uh, you know, WWE is competitive. And with AEW and the attention they're getting, I think you're going to see them continue to bring more people down to NXT because, like, you know, the Finn move has been so successful and, uh, you know, in some ways, I would think that uh, the NXT might be better for, you know, some of the people, not Charlotte, obviously, but there's a lot of stars 
on the main roster who are not getting the attention that they deserve, that they would obviously get a lot more in NXT, and it would mix up some of the bigger-name guys with the up-and-comers. So we have covered a lot of stuff. No, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was, I was just agreeing with you. The, the only thing that I would uh, like to point out, uh, and I heard this on a couple of other uh, podcasts, you know, um, we have to stop looking at NXT as a step down. Because <laughs> quite honestly, they're putting on as a whole a superior product to what the quote-unquote big shows are. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do at this year's Survivor Series or if they have their Night of Champions pay-per-view because it was really neat to see how much respect they gave NXT this past year, obviously. I think it was at Survivor Series, right? And Yes, sir. I'm very interested to see how they do moving forward because that, as you were saying, is probably going to say more than anything from an actual standpoint within WWE if they plan on making NXT basically just the third brand to where it's NXT, SmackDown, and Raw. It makes perfect sense at this point. You know, it's definitely no longer the D-League. We're going to get out of here because we have talked about a lot of stuff. You want to get together on next Monday after the Elimination Chamber? Will that work for you? That sounds good, brother. All right, so on Monday we will be back. We'll do the Elimination Chamber breakdown, and then I think what we'll probably do is maybe do like our WrestleMania full preview card, and then the, obviously we'll, we'll talk AEW because it's going to be interesting to see what happens coming out of a pay-per-view that big. You got anything you want to plug, man? Um, no, well, I'm never afraid of a little self-promotion. Um, you can reach me at Ronald Tinsley it. on Facebook. You can reach me on Ronald Tinsley. Uh, I'm I uh, can help you get your credit lit. Hit me up, Ronna Tinsley, R-O-N-N-E-L-L-T-I-N-S-L-E-Y. Let's chat. And uh, on the IB Sports Podcast feed tomorrow night, myself and Alan will be doing our weekly gambling podcast, The Backdoor Cover. We are on fire in golf right now. We've given winners uh, the past three weeks at at least 30 to 1, the highest being 50 to 1 when Patrick nice. won two weeks ago. And, uh, I mean, I'm serious. It, it's been kind of crazy how good of a run we've had. If you know gambling, it's not going to last, but we're enjoying it while it is. And then later in the week, we have a NBA weekly podcast with uh, Alan and Corey Carlton, uh, the lesser-known Carlton brother, uh, but just as good. Um, and they discuss all the things going on in the NBA. I'm sure they're going to talk Zion and LeBron this week. That was an incredible matchup. But me and Ron Al will be back next Monday with another Team Turbuckle IB Sports Wrestling Podcast. See you, everybody. <laughs>